0: What really gets my dick hard is.
1: Just let your soul go Just let it shine through Just let your
2: All right, welcome to another episode of Metal Up Your Podcast Radio. I'm Clint Wells, one half of Metal Up Your Podcast. This is a bonus episode. Uh, We will not be full on talking about Metallica today. I definitely am not going to be playing any Metallica music. Um, I do these episodes every once in a while to explore different kinds of music, to talk about music, talk about whatever the fuck we want to talk about. It's our show. Uh, If you're here with us, you're a part of it. You're a part of the ride that we're all on together. It's so nice, isn't it? Let's just take a minute and enjoy the ride. Okay, there we go. Now, I do uh, I open these episodes up to AMAs, Ask Me anything. and true to form, you all came through, and I have maybe 30 or 40 questions here that deal with all sorts of things, some serious, some not serious, some about songwriting, some about bands and music, some questions about Metallica, uh, books, film culture. It's going to be a fun uh, show today. Uh, to get us started, uh, we're not even going to spend too much time setting it up. Ladies and gentlemen, the wonderful, beautiful, amazing Tori Amos. Enjoy A Sort of Fairy Tale.
3: On my way up north, up on the venture, I pulled back the hood and I I was talking to you and I knew then it would be a lifelong thing, but I didn't know that we, we could break a silver lining and I'm too so sick. Like a good book, I can't pull this deep. It's a sort of fairy tale. With you. I sold a sort of fairy tale with you Things you said that day Upon the one and The girl had come undone I tried to downplay it with a bit About us You take it as long as I could. I could not erase it, and I'm too sad. Like a good book, I can't put this deep end. A sort of fairy tale. We fake it, feel better with all of us Till I almost smacked them, seen right that night. I don't know what takes hold out there in the long desert cold. These guys think they must try and just get over on us. Good book, I can't pull this deep end. a sort of fairy tale. Wait.
2: song that's that's probably in my top three tori emma songs it's from a record called scarlet's walk that i believe came out in 2001 or 2 and i guess it's about i guess that song's about she's on a road trip with some dude and you know they're in love and it's exciting but then as they as they drive out west from southern california shit starts to fall apart what i always imagine that song being and it's weird how you project stories on the songs like you maybe latch on to a lyric or maybe you don't understand the third verse but you kind of put your own thing on it but I always thought of that song as like she's driving her car and there's a dude that kind of pulls up by her and you get we've all done this in traffic you you either things can get oddly emotional in traffic on the whole spectrum you can get like unreasonably mad at another human being because they forgot to turn their blinker on or maybe you see uh Maybe, like, there are these weird... Sometimes you can get attracted to people in traffic. You know what I'm talking about? And it's just weird. Like, there's people in passing, and maybe we've all seen too many movies and heard too many songs, but you you just build this whole narrative. Like, you just saw this... You know, I remember being in like high school or my early 20s, and you see, like, a girl in traffic at a stoplight, and then before you know it, you've planned your whole life with her. <laughs> Married, kids, uh, where you're vacationing, what you might argue about, what your therapy sessions are like. It's just, I always imagine that this song, A Sort of Fairy Tale, is her in traffic and she sees this dude and they're maybe on a long stretch of road together, like maybe for a couple hours. And maybe he pulls up beside her and then he hangs back and maybe she pulls ahead. Maybe she stops for gas and keeps going. She catches up with him 40 minutes later and they have this. She has, I just love the idea of the whole song really being in her head. And uh, I love that line about for me to take your word, I had to steal it. Oh, it's so good. The great Matt Chamberlain on drums. She's, of course, an amazing lyricist, a great piano player. And the thread here, if we're going to talk about how to tie this into Metallica, which I don't feel forced to do that, but just as an interesting point of uh, fact, the thing that's cool about Tori is she's just herself all the time. And I think that's obviously true of uh, Metallica, at least for the most part. And I don't know, that's kind of why I hang in there with her, because... She doesn't it doesn't ever sound pandering. It always sounds like it's what she wants to say. And you just give the feeling that whoever signed her to a record deal, whoever her A and R people are, whatever her the president of her label is, they're like, uh, we just believe in Tori Amos, you know? We're maybe we're not gonna make a banking on her to make Halsey money. But she doesn't seem to be one of those artists in those rooms that they're like, You think we could get a single out of this record? She seems like the chick you don't say that to. And what an accomplishment as an artist to get to a point where you've got a team of people believing believe in you and they're not going to try to compromise your artistic vision. I think that's pretty cool. All right, let's open it up to some questions here. we got a lot and I want to try to get through them all. Um, I'll try to be um, efficient and economic with some of these answers. Although Tangent City can be a fun place to visit sometimes. Let's face it. Tangent City, especially after midnight. All right. Um, let me find the beginning of this. Okay, here we go. Question number one. Tommy... Jaws asks, who does your hair? Now, Tommy, I don't know if you're asking as part of a jokey time or if you're really curious, but I'll tell you, for many years, it was um, a nice lady uh, named Brittany at a place in East Nashville called Ultra Salon. And when my wife and I first moved to Nashville in 2011, we had to, you know, when you move to a new city together, you got to find all the new things together, a dentist, a doctor, a doctor. A therapist, a massage person, whatever it is you do, and of course, someone's got to cut the hair sometime. I'm not a I'm not very fastidious about my hair. Um, so we went to this ultra salon, and it's just the first girl I ever cut my hair. She ended up cutting my hair for like seven years. We've since moved to uh Donaldson, which is maybe ten minutes away from East Nashville, a little bit quieter. We got a bigger spot, better school for my kid, all that stuff. I I was able to actually build a studio and where I sit now, currently at HQ2, and um, so it doesn't make sense for me to go all the way over to East Nashville for that anymore, so there's this, there's a cool spot near us in Donaldson, this little boutique place, and I was taking my kid to get her haircut, and I was just sort of sitting there with her, you know, making, it was her second haircut ever, and my kid's a pretty brave little firecracker, so she doesn't need a lot of hand-holding in life, which, by the way, makes me real proud and, you know, uh, relieved for her in the future, but So she immediately is hitting it off with the chick cutting her hair. And I'm kind of, you know, useless over there. She doesn't really need daddy to coddle her. And so I went to the front and I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to see if someone here can cut my hair. So I had a picture of my hair that I liked. I showed it. I said, hey, can anyone here do this? Like, not that it's rocket science. And they were like, yeah, sure. uh, Whoever. uh, Jane can. And Jane came out of the back and Jane cut my hair and it looked real good. So now Jane cuts my hair. And Jane's not her name. I just can't remember her name. All right. Um, by the way, these questions are happening on Instagram and on Twitter, so I don't know what those handles are at, I don't know if they're at Metal Up Your Podcast, I think Twitter might be Metal Up Your Cast. Anyway, go to google.com and type in Metal Up Your Podcast Twitter, Metal Up Your Podcast Instagram. Go follow us there, we do all the AMAs over there. If you're on Facebook, I advise you to get off. Daddy1377 says, is there any guitar by any guitar hero you could own, what would it be? If they sold it and I could buy it, mine would be James Hetfield's Black Heart Growing Darker Still acoustic. That song and that lyric resonates with me so much, and I love that acoustic. Let's just take a moment and pause about James's constant references to the Reload album. Um, what Daddy1377, interesting moniker, is talking about is James plays these acoustic guitars for like Unforgiven, Fade to Black, uh, maybe others, I, I don't know. Yeah, but those are the two that come to mind. And he's kind of put artwork on them. And he put the lyric to Unforgiven 2, Black Heart Growing Darker Still. He's got Carpe Diem baby tattoos. He's got Where the Wild Things Are tattoos. All children touch the sun, burn fingers one by one. I think that's interesting. If I could have one of his guitars, I, I want that Uncle Milty Black uh, Les Paul Custom. It's got the racing stripe on it. I, I don't, I'm don't. i not a huge fan of that Celtic cross on the body, but... um you know, I don't know, Ace Fraley's Three Humbucker, Les Paul, that's kind of an indelible guitar in my mind. But I don't think too much about signature guitars. Johnny Mars has got a great signature uh, Jaguar, Fender Jaguar. Eric Johnson's got a great signature Strat. I, but, you know, I don't, I don't dwell too much on that. And I'm, you know, I'm fortunate. I've slowly amassed in my 15, 20 years playing music, a lot of really cool gear that, you know, I'm proud to own and that inspires me. And I don't spend too much time coveting other gear, but I'd get that Uncle Milty if, if he was offering. Uh, Kevin Van Dam, friend of the show, asks, what's your favorite Matthew Mayfield record? Matthew Mayfield is a, one of my best friends. He's an artist based out of Birmingham. I've toured with him for years and years, played on his records with him. He's just a special dude, super talented. Um, my favorite record is actually a record I had nothing to do with. It's called A Banquet for Ghosts. And it's a, it's dark and moody, but beautiful. He did it with our friend Paul Moak here in Nashville. And I believe they did most of that record just them. They kind of made all the sounds themselves. Obviously, the guitars, vocals, pianos, keys, and organs were all them. But even like the loops and the drums, I believe they kind of patched all that together themselves. And it's this very earthy sounding record, deals a lot with loss and heartbreak and I recommend you guys check that out for real. It's called A Banquet for Ghosts, and there's a song in there called uh, Take What I Can Get. Uh, that is my favorite song on that record. There's another really great song in there called Always. Great song called Tracky Down. I toured that record with him. That's how I kind of got familiar with it. So That would be my answer to that. Panda Pictures Productions says, Heard this question elsewhere, and it's a good one. If you could be half man, half sausage, which way around would you have it and why? Top half sausage and bottom half regular human, vertically, horizontally. I think I've been asked this before. I don't, I mean, I don't see what's so interesting about the question. It's obviously it, the question exists in an insane parallel universe where reality is completely different. So, I, I you know, I don't know any of the rules. If that were in the current world, and I had to be half sausage, it would be a horrible, horrible David Lynchian eraser head nightmare. You wake up and you're half sausage, and that's if you they don't even let you choose. But let's go ahead and let them let you choose, like a, like a, a you know an Outer Limits episode or Twilight Zone. You wake up, you're surrounded by doctors. Good morning, Clint. It's the big day. I'm like all oh, the hazy they've drugged me obviously Well, what's going on where's my where my where's my daughter? Where's my wife? Don't worry you no longer have to worry about that. Today's the day that uh, we make you have sausage. It's the great American experiment. You're in a think tank uh, in a bunker 75 thousand million feet b- below sea level and uh, we're going we're gonna have to make half of you sausage and the thing is because we appreciate uh, you donating your body to the scientific experiment. we're going to let you decide which half. I mean, how do you not just immediately say, please kill me? It's like the dude in Tusk, the, the Kevin Smith film, the attorney gets turned into a walrus. Just kill that guy. I mean, because sausage goes bad, right? And it's stinky. What, are they going to eat you? Can I still see my kid? Is Metallica still touring? Can I get some rail access? If the bottom half of my body is a goddamn sausage, how am I going to stand there for six hours maintaining my rail spot? If the top of my if top of me is sausage, all the other people around me trying to retain their rail spots are going to eat me, goddammit. It's a horrible, horrible, dystopian, uh, Terry Gilliam, Brazil-esque nightmare of which you speak of. Alright, Michael X. Krusty asks, If you could go back in time and watch one Metallica show, which would you pick and why? That is a great, great question, and I wish I had more time to think about the answer. What pops up to my mind immediately is Woodstock 99, and the boys were at a peak, not the peak, but a peak of their career. James is looking very menacing. I don't know if you guys have seen the videos, but for whom the bell tolls, he's like grabbing his crotch and stuff, which really isn't my thing. I don't think I've ever, in earnest, grabbed my crotch like aggressively. I don't know what has to the synapses that have to fire in your brain before you physically do that. I've never been in that mental zone, but there's a great version of Bleeding Me. They just seem very confident, very powerful, and uh, you know Jason's there in all his glory. If you know, on the heels of that, maybe one of the SNM shows, maybe the Madison Square Garden one. They only played four of them, and they'll probably never do anything like that again. So actually, I would I send my first answer, and I'd like to say. Madison Square Garden, S&M, whatever that date was. I don't know. We'll do one more here, and then we will get back to the tunage. Clean Cut Metal Nut asks, Which anticipated new hard rock and metal albums are you most looking forward to? Asking for a friend. Megadeth, Slipknot, Tool, Megadeth, Deftones, Gohira, Megadeth, Korn, and almost forgot Megadeth. Anxiously awaiting Dave Mustaine. That's pretty funny. Here's the good news. <clears throat> Someone wrote in recently, a couple people been like, leave Dave alone. Quit picking on Dave. Here's the good news. Dave Mustaine doesn't give a fuck about me. He's somewhere in Tennessee living his life, making records, enjoying being with his family, p- being a troll on Twitter. He doesn't give a fuck about what I'm saying. And that's that's good news for him, for me, for the entire... Milky Way galaxy, of which we currently inhabit a very small corner of. Uh, to answer the question seriously, um, I'm looking forward to Tool, dude. They haven't made a record since 2006, and Tools in my top ten favorite bands of all time. The record they made and put out in 2006 or two thousand yeah 2006. Sorry, the record's called Ten Thousand Days. I'm getting all tripped up here on numbers. Was a great record. It was as good as anything they've ever done. No disappointment. They've yet to make a bad record, and so. Here we are 12 years later, 13 years later, and it's obviously heavily anticipated. And we all sit here wondering if it's going to be good and hoping that it is and hoping that they tour and that we can go see it. I'm doing the collective we suddenly. I don't know why. We're not all going together, are we? I don't think you'll all fit in my Kia. There's a car seat in the back. Might have to adjust some things. I'm drinking a Sierra Nevada Hazy Little Thing IPA. I don't know if it's good or not. I'm drinking it because it was on our bus. I got off the bus this morning. I'm getting back on the bus tonight. Whoop-dee-doo. Doesn't that sound exciting? Isn't that the life you always thought that you wanted? Not being home enough to see your children. Okay, let's listen to another song. I've got up here dialed a Chris Cornell song. Now, we all know Chris from his wonderful work with Soundgarden and Audioslave. You you could play a three-hour show of the biggest songs of those bands, and you would know every word. They're just... Think about how special it must be to be in not only one legendary band, but two. Like Soundgarden happened. It was a moment in time. They made a body of work that will live on forever. The songs are that good and interesting. They, car- they had their own voice. They did their own thing on their own terms. That crashes and burns for whatever reason. And then you're like, I'm going to start another thing. And that becomes a big legendary rock band. God dang it. Well, after all that stuff, he made a solo record. This is the record he made before he passed away. It's called Higher Truth, and I think it was Ethan who hit me to it. And I was in my bunk one night and, you know, looking for something new, and Chris had just passed away, so I was feeling kind of achy about that. And I, without even hearing it, bought it because I thought, you know what, I just want to hear Chris sing songs. I want to hear a new Chris Cornell record, that I, songs I don't know. And I, I lay in my bunk, and this is track two, and I remember halfway through this, you know, just some warm wet tears sliding down my face because definitely in this song and what i would come to learn in the whole record is basically a suicide note and you just don't ever see the warning signs like that when you have these people with you because he made this record and he made it with brendan o'brien the famous producer who produced a lot of pearl jam and Stone double pilots and I think he even toured it. He went on tour, and everything seemed fine. Soundgarden got back together, and we're on a successful reunion tour, and everyone's excited, and everything's cool in the fucking gang, until you get the news that he killed himself. And then you you're, you're left feeling you're left feeling like all the colors gone out in the world, and you're feeling confused, and you don't understand. And then you begin to listen to this music, and then you begin to see. So anyway, this is my favorite song from the record Higher Truth came out in 2014 by the the beautiful uh, dearly forgotten Chris Cornell, Enjoy Dead Wishes. <laughs> that ending thing round and round we all fall down that's how ancient mountains crumbled time which i guess is what he's talking about i don't know and isn't it sad that we can't ask him i love that lyric i think it's in the second verse he talks about waiting for the night to come and chase away all the flies hovering around my head with my memory for a pillow and all my regrets for a bed holy shit dude that's great can't sleep he's laying there thinking about the past i guess thinking about how shit feels real fucked up and sometimes it feels too fucked up and of course the truth is that it's really hard to figure out sometimes is that there's nothing you can't come back from and you're not alone and the sun's gonna come up and if you just kind of hang in there you'd be okay people care about you you have value you're needed by lots of folks and your absence would the ripple effect of you not being here is no joke, would really hurt a lot of people. That's really hard stuff to believe sometimes. And it's it just ends up feeling even almost voyeuristic sometimes to listen to a record like this or to listen to Elliott Smith records. Um But at the same time it's it's also comforting because you, you feel like you still have them with you in a way. They kind of leave a little bit of themselves with you in these records and these songs. That's why music's so important. That's why people who sort of casually like music while they're at the gym or in their car or whatever, they'll never understand folks like us who see music a bit differently. It's not better or worse or right or wrong or anything. It's just, if music is like your medicine, you take it that seriously. And for you know, for me, I've oriented my entire life around it. I'm talking way before I picked ever picked up a guitar or ever thought I'd ever play guitar. I'm talking about videos of me when i'm 4 and 5 you know jumping off my couch singing pearl jam songs you know me as a kid just in my closet looking at the the vinyl sleeve of thriller for hours I'm
0: like is he, is that a fucking
2: tiger why does his wrist look so weird what a cool dude maybe i'll get a white suit like that or looking at Kiss Alive, just literally for hours, counting all the frets on Paul Stanley's uh, Firebird Gibson. That stuff's magic, dudes. And I, you know, if you're listening to this, you know that. <laughs> if, you're, if you're listening to Metal Podcast Radio, then we are cut from the same cloth, my homies. I'm going to read a few questions here. 1FCN81 asks... Am I the only one who used to fall asleep to the Justice album playing in cans as a kid? Well, I can tell you for me, uh, no, you're not the only one because I also did that, and I can also tell you I still do that because when I was a kid, I went to sleep with cans on. Uh, that has carried over big time into my adult life. I still do it. If I can't find my in ear, my monitors from my like I have these nice in ear molds that I use live. If I can't find those, we got a real problem at night night time. <laughs> If, I can't, if my phone's about to die, or if I, if I don't have a way to listen to music, it's a restless night for me. Because, you know, like most people in their 30s and 40s with kids and families and jobs and shit, I don't have the time I used to have to just lay in the sweet, you know, um, nirvana of listening to music. So sometimes by the time I put my head on that pillow, that's my only little private time to get my medicine. And I still listen to Metallica Records. I still listen to... You know, we've been doing this Justice Box Adam and spent a lot of time with the remaster. I mean, I, you know, nothing to put you night-nighty nighty bed like the intro and the middle part to, to Live is to Die. Until Dire's Eve wakes your ass up, big time. Ten four. Um. So, no, there's at least two of us, me and you. And I imagine a lot of people elsewhere. Anya wedder gonna ask, considering how many songs you write, do you have a structure or routine to it to help creativity, or do you just wait for inspiration? That's a great question. Um, so it's complicated like most things. No, there's not like one way to do it for me. But there are certain people I write with where I we have um we understand how we work together, if that makes sense. So for example. Um, I write with this girl Sarah Stearman and uh, we're writing a lot of pop stuff. I think I may have played some of it for you guys. And I write with, and so I write with her and my other friend Annie Wilgen. We write songs together. We, we're writing like once a week now. Sarah got her first record deal, and uh, she's a new artist. She's in her early twenties, I think, and she's going to make her debut record this year. And we're we've kind of we met each other. We wrote our first song together. We really hit it off, and now we're kind of like a writing team. And the, the idea is we're writing for her project. And Sarah is a great songwriter. She really knows what she wants to say. She knows what she knows what to do. Now Annie's part of that equation is Annie is just a, a an amazing singer, and she's amazing at top line. Top line means melody, and she's real good with lyrics too. She just brings a lot of her own heat. Now I'm pretty good at all those things. I'm kind of a I'm kind of just pretty good at all that. I don't really have a standout when it comes to top line or. That kind of barebone songwriting, like, hey, we're gonna write a song right now. It's gonna be called whatever. Um, but where my role with them two is, we do it at my studio, and I, I'm a producer, and I start building the track. So I basically write all the music, and I'm building the track. I'm building loops. I'm building pads. I'm putting bass on it. I'm laying down some guitars, and I'm creating a vibe for them to write the top line too. So they're kind of behind me. Like, she'll have, Sarah will have an idea, like, I want to write this song called Avalanche. And I, she's like, she'll have the idea, right? The premise. The idea is that these two people are in this relationship, and it's kind of getting away from them. And it's exciting, like, in Avalanche, but it, it kind of destroys everything in its wake. And really, at the end of the day, it's the dissolution of it. So that's, that'll be, like, the idea. Like, oh, let's write that song. And maybe she'll say, she'll have some references. Oh, let's listen to this Halsey song. And I'll say, let's listen to this little Peep song or a Taylor Swift song. And we'll kind of just, you know, get an idea about what we want to do, kind of get a target to shoot for. And if you've done this long enough and you know what to do, then once you have those things in place, it's time to get to work. And what I love about writing with them two is they're way down for that. So I'm kind of turning my chair around and throwing in lyric ideas or top line ideas kind of helping them if they're stuck on something i can kind of help get them over it but really they're doing a lot of the top line and so basically by two or three we've got the song and then i get their vocals they leave and then i maybe i spend the time with my family they go to bed i get into the song cave that i call it and i till two in the morning i finish the demo and then that's that day and that song's done and the next day i'm going to do another one so that's my process with them i say all that just to say there's a different process for everybody if, depending on what everyone's strengths are. Um, until I started producing a lot, I was kind of a lyric guy and a fixer, if you will. I would get called to, I wouldn't even take a guitar. I'd get called to go to a producer's studio and uh, he would have three or four songs that needed a great chorus or needed the bridge to be smoothed over or needed that one second verse to really kill and I would write the lyric. So I like to try to have muscle in a lot of different areas, but so there's no real way to do it. That There's no rule book, really. It can, you, it can start with music. It can start with a lyric idea. It can start with a premise. It can start with a painting. Sometimes I'll give people, I've got a bunch of poetry, a lot of Bukowski, and I'll give them some uh, Ezra Pound or some Bukowski and just have them read it for a few minutes and see if anything's uh, an interesting line or an interesting turn of phrase. And then you can just build a song there. And at the end of the day, it's just a song. You can really t- take a lot of pressure off of it and start to have fun and start to do what you're good at, which is follow your intuition and trust your instincts. When you start getting away from that, it just starts to get shittier. Not all the time, but it does start to get shittier. So you're always trying to de- aim for that the honesty and the truth of that. Um, she has a follow-up question. Is it easier to write songs with other people or by yourself? Well, I will say the best songs I've ever written pound for pound have been the product of collaboration. People bringing things to the table that I just simply never would have thought of, and that the songs I've written that have reached the most people and that are that that I think I'm most proud of maybe um, were written with other people. So I'll say that on the front end. Now there there is a frustrating part to it where because I'm a songwriter and I'm an artist, I know what I want to say, and maybe the person I'm writing it with they don't agree. And that, that's frustrating because you start to feel like if this person wasn't here blocking me, I'd be getting to the finish line. I'd be saying what exactly what I want to say, but is that always good? Like the checks and balances of it, who knows, you know? So what I've had to learn to do is if I've got a song that's going to be for me, that it's something I need to get off my chest or something I need to write, I write a Christmas song for my daughter every year. Um if something's just swirling in my head, I kind of know what to save that's going to be mine. And my songies are either Lunar Satan or rock songs or my little Ryan Adams love Lauren songs. They tend to be darker and a little stranger, a little left to center. So I kind of know what to put over there for me. And it's easier sometimes because I if I know what I want to say, I can just say it and there's no one going, ah, I think we can beat that line. Uh, that doesn't make sense. Mm, I think we can do better. I hate hearing that when you really like an idea. Now, conversely, when you're trying to write a song for somebody else, like when we're writing songs for Sarah, it's her prerogative. She's not trying. I want to write. The goal is to write something she wants to sing, not me. So my ego gets, you know, the, 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 there's a place for everyone's ego. It's not the dissolution of ego. Ego is really important. But it's ego has to be in taking up its own correct space in a writing situation or in any relationships professional emotional spiritual ego is not bad it just ego needs its place all right now speaking of that let's listen to another song this is by one of my most beloved artists his name is Rufus Wainwright he wrote a record called poses in the uh, I think through the 2000 and I guess the deal is he got real hooked on drugs and was living in the Chelsea hotel in New York and trying to get out of it And uh, he wrote this beautiful record. Now, my friend Mike Meadows, who is a wonderful songwriter himself, we write all the time. He plays guitar and keys for Taylor Swift. So obviously, he's got a pretty good gig. He called me out of the blue and said, hey, uh, Rufus Wainwright's playing in town tonight. We gotta go. And he knows, and most people who are close to me know, I'm not very social. I do not get out very often. For my job, I have to do that all the time. So when I'm not working, I very much like being at home, listening to records. And... So I think I said, man, I, I, you know, I'm just flying in today. I got a bus call tomorrow. I was just going to do some family time. Thank you for thinking of me, blah, blah, blah. And he wrote back, well, he's playing Poses front to back, this record. Poses is the title track of the record, which is called Poses, which is my favorite Rufus record. He said, well, he's playing Poses front to back. And I wrote back, let's go. We have to go. We absolutely have to go to this. And he was playing this really small room, maybe 500 people in Nashville. And he had a full band, and guys, I don't even know how to describe it. It was one of the top five concerts of my entire life. The first half, he played his whole first record, then he took an intermission, then he played poses front to back, and then he ended with his cover of John Lennon's Across the Universe. And he was funny, he was beautiful, he did... For those of you who don't know, Bruce Rainer is a very flamboyant gay man. And his anecdotes were hilarious, the costume changes were fucking hilarious, and... It was very heartfelt and beautiful and it just it was right. It all was right in the world. And you know, it was an emotional show. And it was a it was a great gift from Mike to reach out to me and kind of kind of put that fire into my ass to go. And so thank you to Mike by Rupert Swainwright. Please enjoy poses.
4: Yellow walls are lined with portraits and I got my new red fetching leather jacket All these poses, such beautiful poses, makes any boy feel like picking up roses There's never been such grave a matter as bearing up. Time glasses, all these poses, such beautiful poses Makes any boy feel as pretty as princes The greener town, no parks conducting And the city streets are wondrous cars singing all these torture ruined my mind like a snake in the orchard i did go from wanting to be someone now i'm drunk and wearing flip-flops on fifth avenue once you've fallen from classical virtue won't have a soul for wake up and Undocked in all the city streets, a wondrous chorus singing on. All-
2: That, ladies and gentlemen, is no joke. Just consummate songwriting, singing. He plays that piano. Just an amazing piano player. The concert was like a master class in everything I'm trying to do in my career. Which, on the one hand, was quite inspiring. And I learned a lot. On the other hand, it definitely made me want to go to clown school or something. You get to a point in life where you're like, this, whatever I'm doing has to work out because I can't do anything else. Kevin Van Dam asks, uh, for book recommendations, uh, I love to read. I've been a big reader my whole life. I didn't finish college. I went to a Bible college, and then I went to a community college, and I was touring, and uh, just it didn't make sense for me to finish that. So, uh, But I've always loved to learn. I've always loved how reading can open up other worlds for you. Um, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and life growing up there wasn't always great, And it's really records and films and books that sometimes when you're a kid and you can't get out of situations, the only way out is to imagine your way out. And books helped me do that for a long time. So I've been an avid reader for much of my life. And, um, you know, I read a lot of good books this year. I haven't had as much time since I've been a father as I used to. But if I'm going to talk book recommendations, like things I think you guys should read, like books that shaped my life, okay? Maybe not books I read this year, but... um, You guys got to check out Reality Hunger by David Shields. It's nonfiction, but it's very witty and interesting. He's got such a beautiful way of writing, and it's about hungering for reality. He wrote another great book about his dad dying called The Thing About Living is that one day we're all going to die. Highly recommend those two books. Um, A book that has absolutely changed my life is a book by Sam Harris called Free Will, in which he posits, do we have free will? And the answer may surprise you, and um, that that book has really reshaped my paradigms about how I see the world. And it's a short read, too. I think it's less than 100 pages. Um, one of the most enjoyable things to read if you like movies is a film critic named Pauline Kael, whose heyday was in the 70s and 80s. She just has a way with words that is unparalleled by any other writer I've ever read, and uh, it's just such a joy to read her acerbic, incisive thoughts about some of the greatest movies of all time. She published a whole bunch of books and she's like probably the most famous film critic. So you can find a great compilation. I think the one I have that I like the most called The Age of Movies. And it's just a compilation of her best reviews. She wrote reviews for like the New York Times, I guess. So they're kind of short and witty and she's had a lot of character and if she liked something it was it's fun to read about and it's real fun to read about shit that she didn't like. And you know what? She was wrong about shit too. Like I don't just think every her all you know, I watched the uh, Ingmar Bergman film Breathless recently that she thought was a masterpiece, and I thought it was a capital T turd. But that's what's kind of fun about it. It's subjective, and you you kind of get in there. And, and, you know, like some some reviews that I read of hers kind of inspired me to watch a movie again for the second time. And upon second viewing, you lean in, or you lean back instead of leaning in, and you get new things out of it. So anyway, Pauline Kale, check her out. I read a great book this year about the movie industry called The Big Picture, The Future of Movies. And it's all about the superhero movie takeover, which I cannot stand. These arrested development, grown-up children who want to watch fucking The Avengers forever. I can't stand that shit. But it's about how those movies are basically destroying sort of mid-budget adult dramas and comedies. They, those just aren't getting made anymore. Anyway, but like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and all these content makers are kind of coming up and filling in the gap. That's why you're seeing a lot of really famous A-list people go back to TV and doing television shows. Because that's where you can take risks now. That's where people can invest in art, invest in the strange screenplay, you know? If it's not just a home run Zack Snyder superhero thing, they're passing on it now. It's just the stakes got weird. It's almost like the it's almost like uh, you know, the middle class in the in economics. It's just disappearing. And, you know, if you've done your homework, when the middle class disappears, things get real, real not good. A few more books I'll mention. East of Eden by Steinbeck's a classic. Most of you probably read it. If you're going to read about Metallica, read Internight by Mick Wall, it's great. Um another book that just completely shaped how I see the world is Pale Blue Dot by Carl Sagan. Uh, another great book about movies is called uh, Easy Riders and Raging Bulls, and it's the story of the new Hollywood 70s American cinema. So it's the story of like Scorsese, Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda, Robert Evans is in there, which Robert Evans wrote a book called uh, The Kid Stays in the Picture, which was just like a roller coaster ride. He was a producer and a, the, the president of Paramount uh, movie studio. Um, but anyway, Easy Riders and Raging Bulls are basically catalogs 68 through 80 and so yes De Palma, Scorsese, George Lucas, Paul Schrader who wrote Taxi Driver and you know there's a bunch of Pauline Kale stuff and there. there's a bunch of great Warren Beatty stuff and they were making Reds and Heaven Can Wait and a bunch of Robert Redford it's just it's an amazing book all right um, he, he also asked after touring all over is there somewhere you'd ideally like to live if your work opportunities would allow it yes not here and I don't want to bum anyone out but my wife and I are real interested in getting out of here and moving to uh, Scandinavia or Europe. Now, if I had to be here, and, and I could, um, we absolutely love Colorado. We went and visited. We, we hubbed out of Denver last year, but and we took our kid too. And, but we spent a lot of time in Boulder. And we just love the vibe. We just absolutely love it. I could see my family ending up there. We love uh, the West Coast. We love California. I would love to raise my kid in Northern California. I'd love to go to like Bangor, Maine or New Hampshire, the idea of something quiet is exciting me, but not quiet like in the woods, like I don't like country woodsy shit, I like to be near shit that's going on, and I like to be near people that aren't like me, and I like to be near culture and art, but I like quiet serenity, and Boulder's got that, you know, Maine, Portland, Maine has that, some parts of Northern California have that, that's sort of where I'm thinking about a great major city to live in would be Chicago, San Francisco. Those are what pop out to me in terms of major cities. But you know, Nashville's good to us, and uh, it's affordable here. We're near our family. Uh, our kid's in a good school. It's a great place to be to do what I do uh, vocationally. So it's kind of looking like we're going to ride out our days here, and that's A-OK. There are worse places. Now, speaking of, of where I'd like to live and where I'm from, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama, and there was a great band there. A great, great band called Wayne. They signed to, oh my goodness, what was that record label? Oh my God, this was such a huge deal uh, at the time. Anyway, they signed to a major label. They made a record. It didn't happen, and they got dropped. And that is the story of Wayne. All right, and when you hear how good this next song is, you're going to realize what a shame that is. The record is called Music on Plastic. It came out in 2004. These guys who I would go on to become friends with and play in bands with were my... Ultimate heroes, local hometown heroes. And when I started interfacing with them as a kid, they were all a bit older than me, but I started, you know, making records and writing songs and playing in bars and clubs and pickup bands and cover bands. When I started doing that, that's when I started interfacing with them and getting to know them. And, you know, like meeting most of my heroes, you got to, there's that sweet spot that you got to wait before you tell them. You got to make sure that you're their friend, that they're like, they like you before you spring on them that you are a. Um, psychopathic, stalking fan of theirs. And I did that with all of them. And they all received it gracefully. And we're all still friends today. This is a song called If You Leave by Wayne from Music on Plastic. Enjoy.
1: If you leave
2: Time can ease your mind, but head and heart can travel different roads. So be careful you don't grow cold. That's a great lyric. I've always loved that. Great song. Great moody, scary song. Carousel should run straight ahead and should never stop. Broken dreams should be the ones where you get to wake up. I'm all for learning life's hard lessons, but enough is enough. I'm growing old. That's so good. All right. Moving on to the questions. Cthulhu45 says, do you remember um that time when like you were in the Beatles? which is a reference to the great Chris Farley skit where he interviews Paul McCartney. Unless he's sincerely asking, and I I hate to inform you, Cthulhu45, I was not in the Beatles. Ian Kretzman asks, any tips or tricks for playing with a metronome? Seems I'm always late or early and I can't get it right. Well, you got to just keep doing it, dude. And here's the deal. It'll get better. You'll get better at it. You just got to put in the time. There's, you know, I'm not saying you have this because I don't really know you, but there are some people... I know some people in my family and in my life who they want to try a new thing. Maybe they want to learn to paint or learn to play guitar or learn photography or learn editing. And when they're not really good at it right away, they get so discouraged that they want to stop. And that's just, that's just no way to do anything. (laughs) You can't, you have to practice shit. And metronome, for those of you who don't maybe know, a metronome is like a, it's a tool that you use that it gives you a tempo. And you can set the tempo, if you can set it fast, you can set it slow. And you play to it, and you try to stay on the beat, and that helps you develop your muscle for tempo, for rhythm. Uh, if you're working on like downstrokes, like if you're working on James Hetfield stuff, like say you're doing the riff to, uh, to, I got a guitar here, to Disposable Heroes, okay? Which is real hard to play, real fast. It's kind of, it's more like this. All right. Now, a good way to practice that is to get a metronome and do it, maybe you know, thirty percent slower. I even did that shittily, but that's the idea. You could even do it real slow, and you just do that until you do that until you want to pull your hair out, and then do it maybe another week more than that. And then you just start to bump up that metronome. Once you get real good with that, real tight, real clean, you bump it up faster. Until you get to a point where you're at at record tempo. It's all about just stamina and practicing and staying on it. So don't be discouraged that you're a little behind or a little ahead of it. Just keep doing it, dude. The difference between successful people and people who like to bitch and moan are people who do the work, okay? So I encourage you, Ian, to do that, and I wish you luck, my friend. David Bill says, please explain in your own words the plot slash ending to the movie Hereditary. He says, give spoilers, who cares? (laughs) Okay. Well, if you haven't seen Hereditary and you want to, uh, and you don't want to hear spoilers, don't listen to the rest of this. So you've been warned. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give you a disclaimer. I've only seen it once in the theater, like right when it came out. But I loved it. I thought a lot about it. I read a lot about it afterwards. So I'm just basically drawing on that, okay? I'm gonna give you my what I think happened in the movie. Now, movies this chick, she has a family, and she's like a, she does like miniature houses and stuff. She seems to be very successful and talented at it. She seems to have a strained relationship with her own mother, and her mother passes away in the beginning of the movie. Now, what we end up finding out is her mom, old mama bear, grandma, was the leader of a cult that worshipped Satan or like the demon Paymon. Now, Annie doesn't know this, but so unbeknownst to her, her mother passing away basically set in motion this horrible thing. And Paimon, I guess, is an ancient demon, and he wanted, through the grandmother, they kept wanting the the mom to have a boy, a grandson, to put the demon in. But they ended up putting the demon in the, the daughter, Charlie. So Charlie's a little weird. And so it was, just like, was Charlie ever just Charlie? Did Paymon kill Charlie when she was a baby and just live in her body? We don't know, but Charlie's a weirdo. Charlie finds a dead bird, cuts its head off. There's a lot of imagery with decapitation in this movie. Things start to get real weird with Charlie. Next thing you know, and you think that everything's gonna go down with Charlie, right? Next thing you know, Charlie gets her fucking head cut off, tragically, in a car crash. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Mom and Dad, as we can all understand, go a little crazy after their kid is tragically killed. And there's an older brother, too, but the relationship with the older brother and the mom is real strained. Like, he woke up one night, and she was standing over his bed about to kill him, but she did it in her sleep, so he thinks that she doesn't love him. And Anyway, the movie basically ends with Paymon possessing the mom, and the mom chases the kid, and then the mom cuts her own head off. The kid tries to kill himself, jumps out of a house... And then Paymon goes in his body. He goes up in this attic, and all the people from the town who are in on it are doing some horrible naked ritual. And Mom is floating, and Paymon goes into the boy, and now that's where Paymon lives. Okay, that's just the rough, crude cliff's note. So, you know, it's a story about demon possession, and at the end, Paymon inhabits the sun, and then I guess is going to destroy the universe. But it's a very well acted movie, and they they don't show you as much as it may sound like. It's a lot more psychological. It is supernatural, though. I mean, there's definitely some floating going on and some demons and shit, but pretty well done, and it's kind of the story of the dissolution of a family. You know, it's a family movie, much like Poltergeist. Remember Poltergeist? Those were kind of like family movies, and I liked that about those. Hereditary is a wonderful movie. I'll say this. If you heard all the spoilers because you thought, ah, fuck it, I'll never watch that, still go watch it because it's really good, and if you've already seen it, and you kind of walked away from it puzzled or maybe like, nah, I don't know, go see it again, knowing what you know now. I think that's going to open it up for you a little bit. we will we'll do a few more of these before we get back to the tunage. Ryan O'Leary says, do you ever feel burned out talking about Metallica? Are there days or weeks when you're not feeling it? Of course. Totally. And wouldn't it be weird if that weren't the case? But see, that's why I love doing the radio episodes, because it's just a break from that. That's why I love doing the Metal Tales series, because I get to just really hear other people talk about Metallica. That's why I love doing the Explore the Big Four series, because we get to talk about other music. Now, as you all know, again, if you're this deep in Metal Up Your Podcast with us, you know that me and Ethan are have a, a lot of eclectic tastes. So I, t- I take a lot of care of myself mentally. I don't feel pressure to... I'm not like all Metallica'd out all the time at home in my private life. I'm just not. It's not what happens. When people come and meet me on the road, they come to shows or they come hang out on the bus or they hang out in a green room or we go to a bar, we hardly even talk about Metallica. Because life's more than that, right? Now, Metallica is a huge, huge part of my life, obviously. Like, I'm the dude for the job to do this podcast. No fucking doubt about it. But yeah, man, it gets, you know, we're the the by nature of doing a show the one like the one that we do, because we're very... We try to be very fan friendly. We try to be really open to our listeners all the time because that's that's the model I got from Metallica. And if we're gonna do this project, then we're gonna. I want to do it right. I want to do it the way my heroes did it. I want to feel connected to the people that value this content. The downsides of that is like anytime Metallica does anything, a hundred thousand people send us emails about it. Now, if that's the worst thing that happens, then I'm a okay because I'm grateful for every one of you out there. But yeah, I get a little tired of it, a little burnt out. But it's okay. The cool thing about Metallica, and one of the great things about how varied their discography is, is if I'm kind of in the first four records world for a minute, and I get a little burnt out, you can always go to like S&M or Garage Inc. and mellow out on that. I can go to Death Magnetic for some kind of modern thrashy stuff, or I can dip into Hardwire for some good saturated Load Reload era stuff. Like, there's a lot of avenues to go into. And then there's always just taking the old break, which... Is real important to do sometimes. Um, well, uh, one more. How about that? Tom O'Neill. Have you seen Jason Newstead perform Phantom war of Megadeth? No, I haven't. Nor do I wish to, really. <laughs> this next song is by Imogen Heap. We all came online with Imogen. She was in a band called Fru Fru. She was on a really great soundtrack called the Garden State soundtrack. The Zach Braff, Natalie Portman movie about nothing. I did not love that movie, but the soundtrack was
0: bitchin'.
2: And I believe this is track one on it. Oh, no, well, this is, I'm not going to play you that, but there was a song called Let Go that was track one, and it was a band she was in with her husband at the time who was a big producer who produced all, like, the Bjork shit. Well, they broke up, and she wrote a record about it that's real brutal called Speak for Yourself, bitch. <clears throat> I added the bitch part. She wrote this really great song called Hide and Seek, and when it came out, it blew everyone's mind because it's, like, her and a vocoder. A vocoder is a keyboard connected to a a microphone, and when you sing and play the chords, it adds this. If you've heard Cover Our World Black in Volume Two, the way I sing the bridge of Where the Wild Things Are, that's a vocoder. It's real trippy sounding. She wrote this whole song on the vocoder, and it's about that relationship ending. And the imagery she uses is great, like um, like indentations in the carpet where the furniture was that you took, and the the oil the oil on the wall from the painting you took, all that stuff. So, check this out. It's called Hide and Seek from Speak for Yourself. Here's Image and Heat. Where are we?
1: What the hell is going on? The dust has only dry- Crop circles in the carpet, sinking feeling, spin. stop to hold their hands
2: All these years later, and I'm I'm still just stunned by that song. That song is just stunning. Check her out, man, Image and Heat. That, that whole record's real good. Uh, the rest of the record has production and drums and guitars. and That was just kind of a special, sparse, sad thing. Amazing. A friend of mine bought that record on tour. I was on tour in, in uh, 2004 or 2005, and a friend of mine bought it on CD. And uh, he hit me to it. His name is Jeff Irwin, beautiful dude. Great bass player. He now does, uh, he works for the crew for uh, Lady Annabellum. And uh, family man, always been a family man, always been a good dude. And I guess I, I'll forever be indebted to him for getting me into that that song and that record. Thanks, Jeff, wherever you are. Uh, some questions. Bill V asked, do you like when bands slash artists take chances in their music like U2's Pop, Metallica's Load and Reload, Radiohead Kid A? Do you prefer them to have some level of consistency or pull a bow or your prints and change drastically with each album? What a great question. Well, let me answer that. Let me start here with the answer. My favorite U2 record is pop. My favorite Metallica era is the load reload era. And my favorite radiohead record is Kid A. I love it when artists when artists push the envelope, when they stretch, when they look for something new, when they try to create something that didn't exist before. How easy would it be for you two, for example, to make the Joshua Tree part two, three, four, five, six, how easy would it be for Metallica to make the Black Album part two, three, four, five, six? Any any of these great bands? What makes them so great is that they didn't do that. Now, sometimes they go too far, and you got to get off the ride. Or maybe they make a record that you just don't understand, or that you just don't like. That's okay. That's a okay the the flawless victory uh, theory that a, that everything a band does, every decision an artist makes, has to be has to live up to whatever your idealized version of it is. That's not real. That doesn't exist, and that's not what being a fan is either. And a fan's also not because yeah, a fans not kissing ass either and just liking everything someone does. You gotta you gotta fucking just weigh it yourself and be honest. And all those bands that you mentioned are. Forerunning bands, they're bands that, they're, they're, they're explorers and they're artists, and that's why we love them. Now, when Kid A and Amnesiac came out, speaking of Radiohead in the early aughts, 2000-2001, I was very puzzled. I was a big fan of the Benz and OK Computer. Still am, by the way. And it took me a minute. Sometimes you gotta live with shit. And that seems, that the patience for that, the trust of the artist seems to be in disarray. Well, and who knows if artists are even going to make records anymore. You know, Kiss, they're not going to make a record. They openly talk about it. Why would we make a record? No one buys records. No one wants to hear new stuff. Is Pearl Jam going to make a new record? Is Metallica going to make another record? I'm shocked we're getting a Tool record. Is anyone going to buy it? Does anyone care? All right, these are questions that are that are important. Um. Now Bowie and Prince pulling the pulling the rug out from under you all the time. That's cool. I, it's hard to hang on to that ride sometimes. But I think I think they they God they're both gone. That's so sad. I think they were both well aware of that. And there's I think there, you have some responsibility to your fans, to your audience, the people who make your life possible. But you also have a responsibility to them to follow your fucking heart and not pander to them. We didn't get on board. With Metallica, because we thought they were going to make the records that we wished them to make. Fuck that. We stick behind those dudes through Saint Anger, through Lulu, through all of it. Because we know and trust that they're going to do what they want to do. Right? That's where I sit on that. Uh, A few more questions here. Luis Bronco, which new bands do you hear the most Metallica influences? I don't know, dude. I don't really listen to a lot of modern hard rock. And, you know, I don't... Like, I heard it when Avenged Sevenfold opened. I definitely heard Metallica in that. I heard it in Volbeat, too. Um, I don't really hear it in Slipknot much, although I know they're all fans. I think Metallica is like you 2 in the sense that even though... I think anything after the black album really, probably anything after Puppets and Justice, but let's just go ahead and draw the line in the sand at Black Album. Anything after that has been influenced by Metallica. You just the iconography of it, the touring, the presence, or the tunes, or nothing else matters, or The Bridge to Master Puppets or Black End or Inner Sandman. Anyone who plays guitar after the Black album learned to play wherever I may roam, okay? Your Limp Biscuits, your all those bands that did the icon shit. Your Lincoln Parks, all of those hard rock bands of the late nineties. I mean, Metallica's a firm part of just rock culture, and like you too, like the Beatles. It's almost safe. It's safe to say that almost anything after them has been touched by them. I mean, am I wrong? I mean, for sure, the Beatles. No one's gonna argue that. And I would say U2 for sure. And the only other band I'd put up there is Metallica. And that makes me proud. I'm not just saying that because I host a podcast and they're one of my favorite bands. I think it's true. That's why I do the fucking podcast, dudes. Last question before we move on. Anja Wedergren asks, she has another question. She says, what's your favorite U2 deep cut? Which, by the way, I'm so glad that I've been talking about U2 out here and that you guys are hip to it. Because now I get to talk about U2 with you guys. I'm such a huge U2 fan. She says, what's your favorite deep cut? Mine's definitely Angel of Harlem. Love that song. Oh, shit. Angel of Harlem. That's on 1989's Rattle and Hum. And that, that is just a beautiful song.
0: Cold and wet December day. Touch the ground at JFK.
2: Rattle and Hum is a really special record. It's the record in between Joshua Tree and uh, Octune Baby. And they made a movie. The movie didn't really do great, but it's sort of them... Exploring America, and and uh, you know they do a song with B.B. King, they do a song with Bob Dylan, they visit Graceland. Larry Mullen Jr. famously cries in the movie. Um, there's a lot of good deep cuts on that record. Silver and Gold comes to mind. Um, they do a cover of Helter Skelter that's great. Uh, God Part Two is on that record. Oh, you know, what? there's a great uh, song on there called Van Diemen's Land that The Edge sings. And The Edge, most people don't know what his voice sounds like because he doesn't do a lot of singing, obviously. But uh, Van Diemen's Land, it's so beautiful. The
0: Hold me now, oh hold me now Till this hour has gone around and I'm going on the rising tide for to face the mens land. It's a bitter pill I swallow here to be ready someone so dear. But a day will come in the stony gaze when an honest man sees an honest way. Hold me now This hour has gone around. Then I'm gone on the rising tide for to fit.
2: Beautiful song by The Edge. If I had to choose other deep cuts, uh, let's just go through the records. Boy, I don't know so much. October, I would choose the song I Fall Down. War, um, either Drowning Man or Seconds. Another song that The Edge sings. Takes a
0: second, say goodbye, say goodbye. Oh, oh, oh.
2: Unforgettable Fire, I'm going to have to go with Wire, although I do love a sort of homecoming. Um, Joshua Tree, I'm going to go One Tree Hill. Octoon Baby, I'm going to go Love is Blindness. Uh, Zeropa, I'll go the first time. Pop, I'll say Wake Up Dead Man. Uh, no, um, What's after that? All You Can't Leave Behind, I'm going to go Kite. How Did This Atomic Bomb, I'm going to go... Oh, uh, I don't know. Crumbs From Your Table. Okay. Speaking of U2, let's just play a U2 song. This is the only U2 song my wife likes. And it's called Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own. It's a beautiful song about Bono's dad passing away. And uh, I hope you enjoy it.
5: stuff You're telling me and then anyone You're hard enough You don't have to put up a fight You don't have to always be right Let me take some of the punches
2: It's a touching tribute to his dad. Uh, there's so many great lyrics in there that are buried by the orchestration, but he, I love in that bridge when he talks about, you know, you're the reason the opera is in me. I encourage you guys to read the lyrics to these songs if you like them, if they're connecting with you, and definitely listen in cans if you can. Listen with some good headphones. A lot of good ear candy in there. I love the line, too. I don't need to hear you say that if we weren't so alike, I'd like you a whole lot more. Just that. you, He paints such a great picture of him and his dad they loved each other, but because they were so alike, they butted heads and you know sometimes you the people that you sometimes the people that you wish you could make peace with they leave you before you can and it's 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 a it's a tribute as much as it is a warning too so I try to heed that I try to let these people who are my teachers I try to I try to receive the lessons you know a few more questions and a few more songs. I do appreciate all of you who are listening. I hope you're having a nice time. I hope wherever you are, out in the world and out in your lives, I do hope things are going well for you. Hope everything's okay. Get that cough checked out. Take some Advil. Take a day off. Get rid of your dog. Your dog's not making you happy. Get off Facebook. Facebook's not making you happy. Okay? Get a record player. Go on a walk. Get some fresh air. Go bungee jumping finally just go do it it's exhilarating you'll have a good time go see a movie by yourself eat a bowl of ice cream get your ass to the gym i've been running five miles a day i'm on like day seven or eight of that i've been eating nothing but salads it's hard but you know what i've been losing weight and i feel great i feel good i feel like i'm moving forward in life What am I, a fucking life coach now? Jesus, Tony Robbins up here. I apologize for that. What happened to me? A few questions here. Fire Chief Joe says, if Courtney Barnett, the Australian songstress that I am in love with, musically speaking, if Courtney Barnett was behind me in the line at the liquor store, what words of wisdom would she say to me as I checked out? Wow, what a question. Really hard to say, but I imagine her first words of advice to you would be, next time, wear pants. Secondhand Stone asks, after... Any brainstorming for additional Lunar Satan tracks to add to the inevitable future EP? So far, we've got the opener, a great follow-up track two, and a great 12-string acoustic. Considering following a Metallica-esque album layout theme? Well, first of all, dude, or lady, thank you so much for the interest in Lunar Satan. It's been a really fun project to write for, and it's been so fun and gratifying that uh, you guys think it's good, that you guys like it um i had a whole um iphone notes note of just song titles and they were so funny and they were so good but i i got a new phone and that didn't carry over in the cloud or whatever i think ice demons was one 666 in reverse uh just a bunch of funny shit just brainstorming just titles um but that's gone i don't really have any i do have 666 in reverse that's kind of in the in the chamber um but i've been reading some Aleister crowley books i got the book of lies and uh, book four which are they're super strange by the way and not very good but i've been reading those i've been reading a book about witchcraft like about like the witch hunts of salem and stuff i've been kind of like re dipping into the culture of the occult uh for inspirato to write for lunar satan but i don't really have a lot there's not a lot that's That shit just sort of happens, you know? Come Dark Sun, which is the last song I wrote, happened real quick. I think I was just waiting for a right to show up, and the chord progression came, and I was like, oh, shit. It's like a... It's like, you know, sometimes songs happen to you, it feels like. I was like, oh, shit, this is a Lunar Satan song. I kind of knew it was hovering around me, and I kind of had to get the metaphysical butterfly net and catch that bitch before it flew away. So, you know, I guess I'm just sort of waiting for that to happen again, maybe. Um... Contrary to what I was saying earlier with with Anja, she was asking about songwriting. I think one of the parts of the question was, do you just wait for inspiration? I do not come from that school. I definitely come from a school of just sit down and do it. If you wait for inspiration, what if it never comes? Then what, you're not going to have a body of work? And then you're going to blame your lack of body of work on that? That just doesn't cut it for me. Write a song anyway. The thing about Lunar Satan is it's a side project, so it behooves me to wait to be inspired because there's no. it's not my job. Now, my job as a professional songwriter, if I'm writing songs for an artist or writing songs for film or TV, writing songs for my publisher, writing songs for fucking Garth Brooks, which happens, uh, then whether I'm inspired, quote-unquote, or not, is completely irrelevant. And it's time for me to put my sleeves up and do what I do best, which is write music. I do appreciate the interest in Lunar State, and thank you so much for that question. Lauren Ocean Singh asks, what's your patrona speaking of... The Harry Potter universe in which you have an animal, that like a ghostly animal, I guess, that protects you and shit. I'm gonna have to go with a wolf, but it's a James Hetfield werewolf. It's it's not like a wolf in the jungle. It's the wolf that James turns into. That's what I hope is my Patronus. I'll have to talk to uh, what's that, J.K. Rowling about that? See if she can pencil me in with that. Coco Brazier says, "What's your favorite music themed movie?" Mine is Almost Famous. Ooh, good question. Almost Famous is a wonderful, wonderful movie. If you guys haven't seen it, Cameron Crowe, semi-autobiographical, he follows the band, uh, what are they called?
0: Fever Dog, scratching at your back door. Damn, what's that band called?
2: Anyways, Jason Lee is the front man of the band. Great band. Uh, um, Cameron Crowe's wife, Nancy Wilson, the thinner chick in Heart, she wrote those songs for that movie. Fever Dog, great movie, great song. I'm going to have to, here's some I'll just humbly submit, okay? I I don't know which one's my favorite. Almost Famous is definitely up there, top 10. I'm going to have to put in That Thing You Do, which actually, you know what, that might be my favorite. An underappreciated movie that's a great music movie is Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg, loosely telling the story of Judas Priest. The fan becomes the lead singer, gets famous, becomes disillusioned, blah, blah, blah. Um, High Fidelity, did I already say High Fidelity? The great John Cusack film, he works in a record store. Um, Jack Black's role in that is amazing what other music movies are there Uh, Amadeus is a great movie about Mozart I believe it won the Oscar Um, uh, my boy Brian De Palma made a great uh, musical called Phantom of the Paradise and the dude from I believe Three Dog Night plays the villain and he wrote all the songs what's that guy's name dang it I'm just so spacey today anyway Check out Phantom of the Paradise, great music movie. Hedwig and the Angry Inch also comes to mind. That's a great, great musical. Um, did I say one more question? Let's just do another song. All right, there's an artist. He goes by the moniker Borns
0: with an S. Ugh,
2: I don't get it. Making it hard to say, hard to understand, hard to tell people about. Hey, did you get the new Borns record? What? What'd you say? The Borns record. Did you get the new Borns record? I'm sorry, can you say that one more time? Sure. Did you get the new Borns record? It's got that song American Money on it. I'm so sorry. Can you spell it? B-J-Bjorn? Bjork? No, no. Borns. Like, I've been born, but I'm Bournes. It's, it's the, the most useless S in the history of words. Oh, Bournes. Yeah, I got that record. I love it. Here's American Money from Borns.
1: I was there when you fell from the clouds and landed in the desert. There was a thunder inside of my heart. There was a
2: dopamine that is borns with american money neato neat sauce a few more questions here good grief i love it loving this metallic cat says how's damien did he take the news okay now metallic cat is referring to my bug guy who annoyed me last week and uh we're working it out it's getting worked out let's just put it that way i'm too nice honey i'm too nice I was talking with some of my friends the other day. I have a couple of friends who I came up with in Birmingham. Some of my closest friends, and they are they're, uh, they're, they don't work in the music industry. One of them went and lived in New York for like 10 years. He's the guy who actually married my wife, and I. my wife and I eloped, as they say, in New York City, in my friend's uh, Brooklyn penthouse. He got his Unitarian uh, religious license to marry us. It was just him and his wife and our friend Holly who did my wife's makeup and hair. Uh, he's one of my best friends of all time. He's somehow back he lives in Nashville now. He's a therapist. It's so weird that because he moved to New York. My other friend Josh moved to Boston and went to Harvard. These 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 dudes are like way smarter than me. And then he moved to San Francisco for many years where he was doing like urban development. Now he works for Nissan, like corporate Nissan. And he does he like he's like a futurist. He thinks of like what are cars gonna be like in the future and how are we gonna uh deal with whatever robotic cars and the ethics he, he deals with like think tank shit anyway he
0: somehow back in nashville too
2: it's so weird that they're all here now and the other day and i don't see him much because i don't go out much the other day my friend josh was like hey it's my new year's resolution i want to spend more time with you guys what do you say we do a weekly coffee instead of like because i'm trying not to drink really much anymore and so let's go get a weekly coffee and i loved that idea i dropped my kid off at school at eight my first rights not till 11 i would love to just get the day started with my buddies, go get some coffee. And we were talking about what it's like to be in the South, especially their perspective is very uh, valuable and fascinating to me because one spent 10 years in New York City, one spent 10 years in San Francisco, Boston and San Francisco. And just how in the South, neutral is interpreted as mean because people go out of their way to be quote-unquote nice. In my experience living my whole life in the South, it's mostly a bunch of bullshit and people here are filled with rage. It's all right beneath the surface. But they the way they deal with it is the nice Southern hospitality Christian.
0: Everyone's real nice. Oh, how are you? Oh,
2: I'm good. How are you? It's good to see you. Yeah, let me get the door. Let me hold. It's all these pleasantries, okay? However, if you cut someone off in traffic, they may want to kill you. A grade school teacher of mine in Birmingham, I found out maybe 10 years ago, she shot a woman in the head in a fit of road rage, okay? That's Southern hospitality. That's all the un, uh, unprocessed rage. Whereas in New York, in other places where they're not nice all the time, they're just kind of neutral. They're just efficient. I remember I was uh, in a cab in New York, and I was in horrible traffic, and I was trying to get to this session. I was making a record up there with some dudes, and I told the cab driver I had my guitar with me. I said, look, I'll just get out here. I got to go. I'm going to be late. I'll just walk the next three blocks. And I opened my door really quick, and a bike messenger ran into the door. Just like out of a movie, like out in Hollywood. And he, like, crashed and burned. Now, the southern boy in me is like, oh, my God, dude, I am so sorry. Are you okay? Everything okay? I didn't see you. But, and he just goes, fuck you. Fuck you. And then he got off and rode away. And that was it. There was no... No one's going to fight or get killed or I'll beat you up. I'll beat your ass. Pull over. Meet me at noon and bring... Bring your woman, because whoever kills whoever gets to take their woman and their spoils. They get their kids and their house and their woman, which, by the way, that's a biblical principle. (laughs) You get to, you defeat the city and you get all their women and children. How about that? Isn't that nice? What a nice idea. But we were just talking, you know, I'm too nice. I should have told the bug guy, look, it's over. You're out. It's not personal. You suck at your job, bitch. But instead, I'm like, "Here's what I need from you moving forward. If you can do these things, I'd like to keep working together. If you can't do them, it's time to part ways professionally." All butt hurt, all tail between his legs. No, I understand. So we're working it out. He's—I told him what I needed. He's going to do it. All right. Too nice. I should have told him you're fucking fired, dude. Because guess who's not nice to me when I don't do my job well? No one. No one's giving me a break. I don't deserve a fucking break. I should do my job and work real hard at it. And not be a lazy, nosy butthole. Which I'm not. I do my job. I don't need anyone to go easy on me. I'm not as angry as I sound, I promise. Alright, a few more of these. Nelson Gilborn. Where's Torben at? I don't know, Nelson. Nelson, I don't know where Torben is. Here. Let's try to invoke him via the power of song.
0: Oh, where's Torben? Oh, where's Torben? He's not at my house. He's not in my car. But he's in my dreams. And that's all I got. Is Torben, oh. In my dreams at night
2: There you go. He's in my dreams flying a carpet into hell on a bewinged demon. And he's got a sword made of gold and he and he's wearing snakeskin boots and zebra a zebra jacket that says members only, but for zebras. And he's got 15 piercings in his ear. He's got one of those big lip piercings where you can't talk like the guy from Black Panther. And he's got a wily look in his eye. And he's scaly like a snake. And he has gills like a fish. And other things. Andrew Dawson, 21, two guitar questions. Favorite Metallica guitar, guitar riff to play and what's the riff you wish you could play but can't quite nail it no matter how you try? Well... My favorite riff to play, I'll just name some of them. Blackened, Disposable Heroes, Spit Out the Bone. These are the riffs I play at Soundcheck when I'm just sort of bored. The the bridge riff to Damage Ink. Uh, I love playing the Bleeding Me riff. Um, now, in terms of... I can't really play any of them that well. Like, if I sit down and practice Moth in the Flame for like two hours, I can play it well enough to make a video where it looks like I'm really good at it. But it just takes a lot of muscle memory and, and time and like... Blackened, I have to just keep working at it and get my right hand in shape. It's very hard for me to just pick up a guitar and play all 10 minutes of Master of Puppets. I have to practice that for a while before I have the dexterity to nail it. So there's not really a riff I can't play. Like I can play the spit out the bone riff. I just have to like work on it all morning. So it's not that I wish I it's not that there's a riff I wish I could play. I wish I could just play it. Anytime I wanted You know, if that makes any sense Now speaking of playing something anytime I want I'm about to play you guys a Ryan Adams song It's very exciting news this week Ryan Adams announced that he's releasing Not one, not two, but three new albums this year Which is really fun He did that in 2005 With Cold Roses, Jacksonville City Nights and 29 Those are three of my favorite records of his He put out a bitchin' record two years ago Called Prisoner And I will now play for you one of my favorite jams from Prisoner Called Breakdown Enjoy <laughs>
6: Diamonds, I won't shine. Oh, my soul, black is cold. Feel like I'm headed for a breakdown. Headed for a breakdown Feel like I'm recent and I can't come down Feel like I'm headed for a breakdown for a breakdown. Feels i for a breakdown. Feels like i a Feels like I can't come down. Feels like I it for a breakdown. Feels like I'm for a-
1: It's like I'm racing and I can't come back It's like I made it for a playtime
2: Wonderful song by Ryan Adams. That's from Prisoner. The song is called Breakdown. Few more questions and then one last song, and then you guys can go about your lovely days changing the world, making the world a better place, etc. Metallica fan says, Other than Ghost, who is your favorite band that has ever opened for Metallica on a tour, or not a festival? The answer to that question, my friend, is Corrosion of Conformity. Great band. Luke Webster, 14, says, What do you like about writing country music? That is a wonderful question that no one literally has ever asked me. Here's what I like about it. I like bringing something different to the table because as you all are well aware, although I write country music and play country music on tour, I don't listen to it. I don't, it's, you know, it's not my cup of tea, as it were. You guys hear the shit I like. I like Chris Cornell and Metallica and Pearl Jam and U2 and Radiohead and Rufus Wainwright and other things. I like esoteric stuff. I like moody stuff. I like acoustic stuff. I like pop stuff. Now what I like about writing it is I don't bring a lot of frame of reference of being steeped in it to the table. I bring a lot of the sensibilities of every band I just mentioned. And country music's in a really great spot in some ways because it's definitely becoming more pop. And then the rootier parts of it are definitely leaning back more into what's traditionally cool about it, and I'm well steeped in that shit. I'm as as much as anything I've described Metallica, U2, Dave Matthews Band, whatever. I could riff on Hank Williams, uh, Dylan, Woody Guthrie, Johnny Cash, uh, the great 50s and 60s country music. I know all that shit. There's a radio episode I did about my own songs called No One at the Opry But You and Me that I wrote about my grandfather, and I wrote about my my love and my how steeped I am in traditional country music. But in terms of what's happening now with writing, it feels really fun to come to the table with 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 fresh ears and say let's make it weird. let's not follow the same tropes follow the same fucking trends. Let's not write another song about how tequila reminds you of your fucking stupid girlfriend. Oh my god do we need another song about yeah, you broke up with your dude and now every time you piss your pants because you drank too much Jack Daniels, you think of him whoopty fucking do No thanks. There's more out there to explore than that. And that's what I like about writing country music is I get an opportunity to do that within country music. Two more questions. Borwalk King says, inspired by the All Within My Hands benefit concert, have you ever played with a pinky slide on during an entire performance? No, I haven't. How hard is it to use one of those things when strumming chords or riffing? Well, I play slide on my ring finger. There's a few songs live that I play slide on. And i it's not that hard. I can make bar chords with my pointy finger and my pinky. I can do, you know, a five chord. Uh, and you just find ways to get the chord. If you gotta, if you got to make chords, big open chords, you just got to figure out the most essential ones to use your available fingers for. And when I'm done with whatever I'm required to slide, I throw that bitch off. And my guitar tech has to go find it and pick it up. And like anything, with practice, one gets better at things. So the last question, befitting, I believe, Kyle Serafini asks, what should the last on Metallica ever plays live be? Well, there's some different thoughts about this. Okay, I think there's an interesting argument to be made that it should be hit the lights—the song that started it all, the first song they ever wrote together. It's not—it's not a—it's not, not a big sentimental ballady, everyone crying thing. It's not a "nothing else matters" type cemetery funeral scene song. It's a celebratory r- fucking barn burner. I like that idea. To me, the obvious winner, though, is going to have to be Fade to Black because. The title, the sentiment, it's got the great moody acoustic stuff, but it ends with the great and thrashy Metallica. And what a way to go out. Like something about one, which is probably a better song, doesn't feel right to play last. It feels like an open-ended story. Something doesn't feel right about Sandman, or about, definitely not Sanitarium, fuck that. Seek and Destroy might have a a way up there.
0: Four Horsemen, maybe.
2: The irony of we're coming, and yet we're leaving for good. But I think it's got to be hit The Lights Are to Black. And with that, I will play you our last song. I May Come Back and Say Goodbye After This Tune. This is a band called Churches. Wonderful band. I've been a fan of this record since it came out. I got to see them at South by Southwest a few years ago, and it was a delight. This is a song called The Mother We Share from the band Churches. it's going to end this episode of metal up your podcast radio. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for everyone for submitting the questions, the funny ones, the thoughtful ones and everything in between. I like exploring all this stuff together with you all. I feel like we're a family. We're on the ride together. Couldn't do it without you. We appreciate all the support. Uh, you can check us out on Patreon. You can check uh, the cover. our our black and EPs out. Volume one is for sale on our website, metalupyourpodcast.com. Volume two is available at Patreon. Um, you can leave us a positive review and you can send me an email if you want. Podcast show at gmo.com. You can put M U Y P radio in the subject and you can give me some feedback on the radio shows. Who knows? I'm sure it could be better. Uh, also, formatting ideas. Um, someone had the idea about doing an episode of like traveling songs, like road songs, road trip tunes. I want to do some like 70s, 80s, 90s soundtracks. Um, you know sexy songs songs for the gym it'd be fun to do all sorts of things and explore music together i'm always in you know open to hearing new stuff too and as long as you don't overwhelm me with it and uh good grief i need to let you all go thank you so much for all the support i really do love you all out there and i uh, will see you on the flip-flop peace <laughs>